I love camping. It is one of my favorite activities. I don't do it nearly enough. But even as much as I have been out in the woods by myself, I must admit that the night can get kind of scary. Sounds get amplified. Your line of vision isn't quite what it should be. Whereas in the daytime, you can see pretty much off into infinity. In the nighttime, you've got a span of maybe about 10 or 15 feet. Imagine the terror of being scooped up and taken to God knows where. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we have a big show for you today. <laughs> big as in large feet. So, and it's spooky month. Everybody loves to get eerie and weird and paranormal. So we take advantage of that to get out of the, the true crime maybe and get into the, is it true? Is it a crime? We don't know. Is so it's, Scott going to finally believe one of these bullshit stories? <laughs> Let's find Probably out. Probably not. So, but real quick, before we do that, rays of light. All right, you guys, I'm going to go first. And I just want to preface this by saying, okay, so yeah, advertising your, your own shit, kind of icky. But this is not something that we farmed out. This is something I have done all on my own and so to, I'm, I have you guys on video I'm going to show it to you it is my ray of light because it is something that is finally coming to fruition and I'm very happy so I'm going to send you guys a Facebook link right now okay this Facebook link is redbubble.com slash people slash old timey crimey and if you go to that you will see our merch what <laughs> let's see here I'm I'm totally getting that shower curtain, by the way. Which one though? They're all available in a shower curtain. <laughs> oh, that's nice. If you click on any of those and you click shop all products, so let's do the my personal favorite, Schmidt Gets Real from our Hans Schmidt episode, the second one where we delved in and really discovered um some truly gross activities with chickens. Um and you go to shop all products. You can see all the different things you can get. You can get different t-shirts and hoodies, but not just that. You can get laptop sleeves and phone cases and postcards if you want to send something real weird to your friend. <laughs> and shower curtains and backpacks and masks. It is ridiculous. Socks. I definitely need a pair of socks. Why is the old-timey crimey logo mature content? Okay, so uh, this is a shop run out of Australia. or. They have different rules as to what you can display. So anything that displays violence or weapons, uh, you have to put under mature content. So I went along with their rules and anything that had a knife or a gun in it, um, I went ahead and, and marked that as mature content. So you do have to click like allow mature content in order to see those things. I was just but worried after, after that, like, you everything. if you look real close, you can see Scott's dong. Was, I was kind of <laughs> worried about that. Not because I'm embarrassed of it or anything. I just want extra money if that's the case. 
and probably would like to know how the hell I got a hold of that picture. Uh, look in your Google <laughs> inbox. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have the I Listen to Filthy Words. Uh, we have that available as all different merchandise. Schmidt gets real. We have Gilles de Ray, uh, the Tommy Wiseau of evil. And then the Filthy Words I also did as a small print, so you can have it like big print or if you want you can have it you know like small print so it's almost like a check pattern and you can't necessarily see what it is until you're up close it just sort of looks sort of abstract until you actually get up close and you see that you know it's a knife and it says uh, i listen to filthy words and then we have the original logo i didn't want to put up the current logo until we get amber incorporated into it and then of course we have sources very wildly yay (laughs) And I'm working on other designs. I have a whole list. Uh, I think the one I'm really excited about ra- right now is the Voodoo Sex Riots. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to figure out how I'm going to do that. I think it's going to be kind of a groovy design. I just got to work on it some. But yeah, I'm super excited for that. And uh, if anybody out there would like to transcribe Scott's Raisin rant from the... Uh, Lawson family murders episode. <laughs> Good fucking luck. I was I was like an angry micro machines guy, just yeah, rattling I, off rapid fire. I would really appreciate if somebody would do that and send it to me. I'd send it to oldtimeycrimey at gmail dot com, and I will put that on a shirt along with a giant raisin and maybe like a the, the symbol for no. <laughs> so okay, uh, Scott, what's your ray light? My ray of light. I, I'm just looking forward to the weekend. I, I found out that the, the new season of Archer is up, so I've got four episodes to catch up on. Uh, the boys will be playing on Friday, and I have a, a white pizza with my name on it Friday night. It is, I'm just going to, I'm going to lay in the couch, and I'm going to watch TV and eat pizza and do nothing, because today was a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> I had to do plumbing. Oh, no. At my job. At my job. I had to do plumbing. And for the, light, uh, for the love of God, no plumbing job should ever involve a heavy-duty chain and a winch. And yet, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> the pipes would not come out of the walls. So we had to drill a hole through the pipes and winch the pipes out of the walls. Oh, my goodness. That is a nightmare. So Jeez. my ray of light is... That was over for today, but we'll probably do more of that tomorrow. Uh, Think about calling in sick. <laughs> Amber, what's your ray of light? Uh, I actually have a cute story for my ray of light. So um, my mother-in-law babysits for us um, when we're both working from home every once in a while. And um, she had just Max today. And she asked Max if, um, if he was always going to be her sweet little boy. And he goes, he's three, mind you. He goes, Grandma, I'm sorry. I can't be your sweet little boy because I told Mommy that I'm her sweet sweet little boy forever. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So she called me to tell me that, that she just thought it was so cute that he will not be her sweet little boy because he already promised me forever. Aw. That is adorable. I was like, aw. So that was my little ray of light. It made me very, very happy. Well, somebody who's not a sweet little boy <laughs> is Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. 
<laughs> so we are going to talk today about Albert Ostman. Scott, you want to take it away? Oh, yes. My good buddy, Albert. Albert was a, a Canadian prospector. He was kind of, he kind of had like a bit of a Slovakian in him, from what I understand. And Albert was, he, he had always been lo- uh, like a logger. He'd always been construction work. And at this point in his life, he had been working for pretty much a year solid. And he, uh, this is around 1924, and he decides, you know what? I need a vacation. This was like the kind of guy that you saw on the cover of a 1950s men's magazine. This is the dude, the dude like fighting a bear with a hammer and nail. While a woman in a red shirt with like the one button just holding on for dear life against her heaving bosom screams as like carpenter ants swarm over them. This was a <laughs> real fucking dude. And he decides he wants to go to British Columbia because it's famous for its lost gold mines. All right. So he takes a Union steamship to Lund, British Columbia. He intends to go to the head of the Toba Inlet. I have a quick fun fact or two about the Toba Inlet. Oh, do tell. (laughs) First of all, uh, it has a couple of reviews on Google reviews, and one of them is a one star. The review states simply, too much water. (laughs) Well. Yeah, yeah. It is also home to many grizzly bears. It's a, if you guys look this place up, it is gorgeous. Oh my gosh. It is, there's like waterfalls and like blue green crystal clear water and trees and mountains. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. And then kind of a funny fact, it got its name due to a mistake. It was originally called the Canal de la Tabla, which a Spanish explorer, he, I I never want to say discovered because these explorers never discover anything. It was already there. There were already people. (laughs) So it's like Columbus. (laughs) Yeah. Ding dong, it's Europe. But he, quote unquote, found it uh, in 1792. Time to let all the white people know about this, the important people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, time to spread some pox. <laughs> um, he, he found a plank with paintings on it on the shore, sort of, you know, like indigenous peoples. And tabla is Spanish for plank. So he, he called it Canal de, de la Tabla. But then a map engraver was making a map and accidentally misspelled it. So that's how it became Toba Inlet. Interesting. I grew up in a, uh, I grew up just about, 10 minutes away from a little town called Accident, Maryland. (laughs) And the whole thing was like the king had sent four surveyors to find the nicest piece of land in Maryland. And they all surveyed the same one by accident. (laughs) I love shit like that. (laughs) Also, their mayor has a really bad habit of going to the local interstate, dropping his pants uh, over like the interstate and masturbating at traffic. Well, yes, hello, I, Mr. Mayor. Yeah. Whose yeah. name happens to be Spencer Schlossnoggle. But anyway. Should, should we be saying this? I mean, he's been caught and convicted. Okay, if he's been convicted, then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> what was that last name again? Spencer Schlossnoggle. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. I was actually good friends with his cousin. 
who was also uh. named Schlossnagel and English. That's weird. Yes, yes. All right. Moving All right. on. Yeah, yes, carry on, carry indeed. on. So he, he decides that he's going to hire this elderly Native American to take him to the head of the Toba Inlet. My question I, I, is, you're I'm sorry, in I do have to pause. Is it a Native American if it's in Canada? <laughs> I was just getting ready to say, my question is, is it a Native American if it's in Canada? I'm okay. saying yes, North America. Uh, okay. <laughs> so this old Native American, he was, he was very talkative. And he's telling stories about this gold brought out by a white man from this lost mine that he's kind of looking for. And this white guy was really heavy drinker. He spent his money wildly, but he had no trouble getting more money. He would be away for a few days, come back with a big bag of gold. Um, but one time he goes into his mind and he never comes back. And this guy, this Native American goes, uh, some people say that the Sasquatch killed him. And Osman goes, sauce what? <laughs> Sasquatch. It's a thing up there. If you look at that culture up there, Sasquatch is just another animal. It's, they absolutely 100% believe in it. There's the eagle, the bear, the Sasquatch, this, that, the other thing. You know, it is just, it's just another, another person. Um, the Native Americans say hey, they have hair all over their bodies. They're not animals. They're people. They're really big people. Tracks two feet long, eight foot tall. But Osman goes, I don't believe in fables. and I don't believe in your mountain giants. That's maybe a thousand years ago. Not now. Famous uh, last words. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and his, his guy goes, yeah, there may not be many, but they're still up there. Now, from... From a few years of doing ghost hunting and stuff like that, I just want to tell you, the best way to get a response out of the paranormal is take someone who doesn't believe you. Take someone who is a complete and utter skeptic, and it's almost like they try to prove themselves to you. Hmm. Just my two cents. Osman and the Native American, they arrive at the head of the inlet about 4 p.m. They make camp at the mouth of a creek. And uh, the, uh, the Native American, I knew I was going to fucking do that. <laughs> the Indian. <laughs> what, a, what a goddamn crock of shit. Christopher Columbus comes over and goes, you guys are Indians. No, no, we're the, the Iroquois, the, the Arapaho. No, you're fucking Indians. <laughs> so the Native American has supper with him. And Osman goes, come back for me in about three weeks. Uh, and I'll, I'll be right here. I'll be camping at the very some, same spot. Come back for me. Now, I'd just like to point out, three weeks, three weeks worth of vacation sounds really, really fucking nice. Right? Yeah. I was actually kind of just thinking that. Yeah. I'm, I'm like looking at this going like, would you be willing to spend three weeks of like away, you know, even if it meant being... <laughs> Having to spend some of it with the foul-smelling Sasquatch people. Yeah, probably. Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So the next morning, Osman takes his rifle, leaves his equipment. He looks around the deer trail up in the mountains. And then he kind of looks up over the inlet. He sees a pass through the mountain. He wants to go through. He wants to see what's on the other side. 
he spends most of the afternoon looking for the trail. He cannot find any trail, but he does find a hogback running down to the beach. He kind of, kind of like makes his own trail from there. Gets back to his camp about 3 p.m. And he makes up his pack so that he's ready in the morning. He wants to find, find this trail that he's seen going through the mountains. He has a 30-30 Winchester rifle. Uh, he has a prospecting pick that has an axe on one end, a, a pick on the other. He's got a leather case, and he's got a sheath knife. And the storekeeper had given him uh, cans of, uh, for his sugar, his salt, and his matches to keep them dry. His food was canned food, except for a side of bacon, a bag of beans, four pounds of prunes, <laughs> the raisin's bastard cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta stay regular. Yeah. <laughs> and six packets of macaroni and cheese, three pounds of pancake flour, and six packs of Rye King hardtack, three rolls of snuff, one quart of butter, and two one-pound cans of milk. This guy was going to be eaten well for the three weeks. And he had two boxes of shells for his rifles. So uh, he also was given this empty biscuit tin. He puts a few things in that and he hides it under a windfall so that he would have it when he came back waiting for a boat to bring him out. He has a sleeping bag. It's rolled up. It's tied on the top of his pack sack. And he's got a ground sheet, a small frying pan, an aluminum pot. And as the canned food was used, he would get empty cans to cook with. The next morning... Believe me, I have mapped this motherfucker out. <laughs> so front to back. <laughs> the next morning, he has an early breakfast, makes up his pack, and he starts up this, uh, this trail. The pack was 80 pounds plus the rifle. So he's walking up the side of a mountain with this pack. After an hour, he has to rest. And he, he would rest, climb, rest, climb the entire morning. At 2 p.m., he comes to a flat place below a rock bluff, and there was a willow in one place. He made a wooden spade. Let me repeat that. He made a wooden spade, <laughs> and he starts digging for water, and he goes about a foot down, and he gets seepings of water, so he decides to camp there for the night, and in the morning, kind of figure out the best way to get down from there. He was up about 1,000 feet. And he said it was an amazingly beautiful view. He could see tugboats from where he was with long booms. He could see fishing boats going in all directions. Uh, the next day, he spends it prospecting, but he doesn't find anything. Finds no minerals whatsoever. He does find a deer trail that seems to lead towards the pass that he sees from the inlet. So the next morning, he starts out very early while it's cool. And he said he climbed very steeply for three hours with an 80-pound pack. He decides it's, uh, it's time to rest. And there's, he can see the other side of a ravine from where he's resting. There's a yellow spot, small trees, and he moves over there and he starts digging for water. Like I, I don't know how the fuck you just dig for water with this wooden spade that you made. Maybe Alaska is a bit different than Pennsylvania. I know here in PA, you have to go about 20 feet before you hit water. 
Uh, or just be this fucking monster of a human. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. The cojones. He finds a small spring, and he makes a trough from cedar bark and gets a small amount of water. He has his lunch, and he rests there until the evening. And then late that night, he made it over the pass. He was now going downhill. It was easier to go downhill, but he was hungry and he was tired. And anybody that's hiking is going to tell you downhill is much more dangerous than uphill. Downhill is easier. Uphill is harder. But you're more likely to break a leg, twist an ankle whenever you're going downhill. So he camps at the first bunch of trees he comes to. And he's just kind of trying to size up the terrain. You know, do I go towards west? Go to the lowland? Look for another inlet? Uh, no. Oh, I'll go to the northeast. He had good going, slight downhill all day. He made about 10 miles. He comes to a small spring, a black hemlock tree, and spends two days there just resting and prospecting. That's it. And he shoots a deer. That's dinner. Uh, he probably ate it raw. <laughs> ate it like <laughs> sharpens two sticks and eats it like corn on the cob. <laughs> you know, judging by the, like, the stuff he's already done, that's what I expect. Right. This is his <laughs> vacation. <laughs> he's like he's like Ron Swanson before Ron Swanson was born. Yeah, 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 seriously. Two days later, he finds another good campsite. Uh, there's two good-sized cypress trees growing close together near a rock wall. And this is where he goes, okay, this is my permanent camp. He cuts a lot of brush for his bed between these trees. He rigs up a pole to hang his pack sack on. Uh, arranges, <laughs> hey baby, you know what I mean. <laughs> he arranges some flat rocks uh, to make a fireplace for cooking. And he says, I had a really classic setup. This is where shit goes south. Uh, he was a heavy sleeper. Not much disturbed him. Uh, but the next morning, he gets up and he goes, yeah, something was here while I slept. Everything's here, but everything's scattered around. He roasted his grouse that he had shot on a stick for his breakfast. An entire grouse. Why, Why not? not? Yeah. That night, he's a little freaked, though. So he fills up the magazine of his rifle. He still had one full box of 20 shells and six shells in his coat pocket. Uh, and he lays the rifle under the edge of his sleeping bag. And he had, uh, he had honestly thought that what had caused the problem was a porcupine. Porcupines love leather. They go after mm -hmm. the tannic acid that's in the leather. And he puts his shoes in the bottom of the sleeping bag. And honestly, porcupines are dangerous. It's, that's something you don't want to get stuck with whenever you're out in the woods, especially this far deep. No, there was a porcupine in my house one time, and my mom shot it in the ass with a pellet gun. Mm -hmm. We came home from school, and there was just spines everywhere. We're like, what happened here? <laughs> we came home from school when we had uh, outdoor cats when I was younger, and one of uh, my cat had gotten had tangled with a, a porcupine and had like six quills in, in her belly. Uh, taking those out was not pleasant. I felt terrible, but there's nothing else. I mean, I guess we could have taken her to the vet, but that wasn't a thing my family did. Apparently, we just we just roughed it, and so did the cats. I've seen porcupine quills go through the rubber on a car tire. 
Yeah, they're tough, man. They are. They are. Uh, a lot of the listeners who may be in an urban area think like the porcupines shoot their quills. They do not. Porcupines do not shoot their quills, but they're able to get them in you quite amazingly quickly, and it really seems like they're shooting at you. But it's just porcupine ass flying at you. Hmm. <laughs> so, and that could be the episode title. Yeah, porcupine <laughs> ass. Flying at you. The next morning, his sack has been emptied out. Amber? <laughs> swear to God. Don't need your shit today. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah. Someone had turned Come on. It. Yeah, I'm sorry. The next morning, his sack was emptied out. Yeah, you did that on purpose. Guys. Yeah, I did. You did that on purpose. <laughs> so the sack had been turned upside down. <laughs> But it was still hanging on the pole from the shoulder straps that he's, as he'd hung it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amber can't handle this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Watching her lose it. Now, what do you think is is missing? What's the first thing he notices missing? His scrotum. The fucking prunes. <laughs> oh, no, my regularity. <laughs> right? I'm going to be. So, Wait, wasn't there like eight pounds of prunes? It was half a pound of prunes. Oh, I thought you said there was more than that. No, there okay. was. But at this point, there's only a half pound of prunes left. Oh, okay. Okay. Dude doesn't like to stop to take poops. He just like hangs his ass out, continues to walk and, and prunes it, it all over the place. It falls down his pant leg and just rolls into the ground. Shakes it out, man. His pancake flour was missing. Salt, not touched. And he goes, this is not a porcupine. Porcupines always go for salt. So it's something else. He looks for tracks, can't find any. Didn't think it was a bear because bears do a lot of damage. They, they tear stuff up. And I can, I can attest to that. Uh, we've had, uh, I've had brown bears in my yard whenever I lived on Mount Davis. And I mean, they'll, like one brown bear went up the apple tree and shook it so hard that he split it down the middle. You know, it really kind of go. oh yeah, these, these are not creatures to be messed with. So at this point, he's keeping close to camp. He, he's afraid that, that whatever this is is going to come back. Osman climbs up on a big rock. He has a great view of the camp. Doesn't see anything. Uh, he, he was actually, he was sitting there hoping it's a porcupine. Because he has a taste for porcupines too. Because why not? Of course. Right. This this is the guy that would eat a porcupine. Raw. Absolutely. Raw. <laughs> On two sticks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so these visits that he's getting, these intruders, three nights now. Three nights in a row. It's cloudy. It looks like it might rain. And he kind of just takes notice of how everything was arranged. He, he closes his sack. Amber. <laughs> He doesn't undress, though. He only takes off his shoes. He puts them at the bottom of the sleeping bag, and he drives the pick. Remember, he has that prospecting pick. Drives it into one of the cypress trees so he could reach it from his bed. He puts the rifle alongside of him inside the sleeping bag, and he, he's not going to fall asleep. He's going to stay awake that entire night. But what happens whenever you really try to stay awake? You fall asleep. That's you right. Asleep. That's right. And whenever you try to fall asleep, you stay, stay awake. awake forever. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So he's half asleep and he realized, 
Wait a minute. My sleeping bag used to allow me to get out of it. My sleeping bag has become a carrion sack. And I am the contents. His first thought is, uh, oh, this is... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm going to giggle every single time you say the word sack today. Sack. (laughs) Sack. I'm just a carrying sack. (laughs) So he goes, the first thought is, remember, he's half asleep. This is an avalanche. This is a snow slide. And he goes, yeah, there was no snow around my camp. Never mind. I'm I'm waking up. (laughs) Uh, And then it kind of feels like he's tossed on a horseback. But he can kind of feel by like the bounce, whatever it is, it's walking. And he's trying to go, he goes, this is an animal. And he's trying to figure out what kind of animal this is. He tries to get his knife and cut his way out. But he's like in a sitting position and the knife is underneath him. He he can't get a hold of the knife, but the rifle, the rifle is in front of him. And he's got a good hold on it. And, And he's, he can feel like... Like his pack sack, uh, touching him. He can feel like the cans digging into his back. It goes an hour and he can feel that he's kind of going up a steep hill and he could feel himself rise for every step. And whatever was carrying him was breathing really hard. Sometimes gave out this slight cough. He's in a super uncomfortable position. He's unable to move. He's sitting on his feet. One of the boots in the bottom of the bag is crossways with the hobnail sole across his foot. And it hurts. It hurts bad. He can't move. And it's hot inside. And he said, I was lucky. Uh, This thing's hand wasn't big enough to close up the whole bag when he picked me up. Uh, There's an opening at the top. Otherwise, I would have choked to death. Now he can feel himself going downhill. And he could actually feel himself hit the ground at times. One time he's dragged and I could feel he was below. Yeah, he, said, he said, I could feel the Sasquatch was below me. But at this point, he doesn't realize what it is. He gets on a level ground and was going for a trot for a long time. He's got cramps in his legs. The pain was horrible. And he's sitting there going like, I, I wish he would just get to wherever he's going soon because I can't stand it. Then he's going uphill. And he finds out, oh yeah, uphill doesn't hurt so bad. He's trying to estimate distance. He's trying to estimate directions. He figures he's about three hours traveling, and he has no idea where he started because he was asleep whenever he's picked up. Finally, he stops, lets the guy down. Uh, he could hear the cans rattling. He's, he hears chatter, some kind of talk I did not understand. Uh, this is interesting. Has anybody heard of the Sierra sounds? I think so, but refresh my memory. Okay, there is this camp. Uh, they, keep the, they keep the location of it pretty secret. And they have, uh, they have these, what they think are Bigfoot, chattering. And they've recorded this. And it's not what you think. You would think it's like growls and grunts and what have you, but it almost sounds like a language. Uh, and it's called the Sierra sounds. Let me, uh, let me see if I can bring up some of the Sierra sounds here. Range for night view. Mm-hmm. 
change like this. So you can kind of hear, and you can, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay, I had turned it up so I could hear it better, oh. and then I forgot to turn it down, and it scared the crap out of me. So you <laughs> also, can, oh, go I'm ahead. Kind of like, I'm on edge now because I'm thinking about all the times I've been outside and not been able to recognize a noise, mm -hmm. um, including one time when Jackson and I were sitting out by a fire at the old house, and we heard something, footsteps walking towards us in the woods, and then stopping. That, that was just me. <laughs> You creep. But yeah, we actually like went and got the hatchet and like stood there and I think I had a frying pan or something. I can't remember. But uh and yeah, we were like, whoever you are, come out. And then we'd hear like footsteps and, and then stopping again. It was real creepy, did not like it. And now anytime I hear a sound that I can't recognize, which I can I can pinpoint like rac raccoons and foxes, obviously owls and stuff like that. But now when I hear something I can't quite recognize, I'm I'm gonna get the fuck inside. Yeah. <laughs> now the Sierra sounds you can tell there's sort of a syntax there. There, you know, there's something, there's something more than just grunts and stuff. And of course, you could hear whoever's at the camp kind of calling back to them and getting like a call and response. There's many, many more Sierra sounds out there. I encourage our listeners to go look into that. So the fact that Austin is saying, like, I, I hear them kind of chattering, you know, some kind of talk I don't understand, that kind of goes along with the Sierra sounds. So it's not like whoops and, and hollers and growls and whistles that they, people will say Bigfoot do. There's a syntax to this. So getting back to this, the ground's sloping. Whenever <laughs> he let Albert go out of the sleeping bag, he rolls downhill. He gets his head out, gets a little air, tries to straighten his legs, but his, his legs are numb from being tucked up underneath of him. It's dark. He can't see what has him. Uh, he hears the chattering. Uh, he kind of has that, that story that the Native American told him in the back of his head. And that he kind of goes, shit, this, this is, I, I'm going to be that old miner. Nobody's ever going to see me again. So now he's kind of like going through his head. This is not a man that's kind of going to resign himself to his fate. Already the wheels are turning. How do I get away from them? Uh, he, his eyes are adjusting. It's starting to get lighter. And he can see the outline of them now. Um, there was a slight sprinkle of rain. He's got the circulation back in the legs. But his left foot is really, really in a lot of pain uh, where the boot had been resting on it. So he gets his boots out of his sleeping bag, tries to stand up. A little wobbly, but he had a really good hold on his rifle and he actually looks at the sasquatches and goes what do you fellows want with me just more chatter it's getting lighter he could see them very clearly he figures out there's four of them it's not just one it's a family two big ones two little ones covered in hair he could now start to make out the mountains he looks at his watch it's 4:25 a.m he can see everybody clearly, 
And he goes, it's an old man, an old lady, and a little boy and a little girl. And the boy and the girl are frightened of Albert. Hold on. Yeah. I just, okay, so I have his account of this. And you said little boy, little girl. But they were both six foot. Right. In his estimation. Right. So these were not little creatures. Right. Six foot is still eight inches taller than me. They're they're littler than than their parents. What what, what we suspected their parents. Yeah, I had... um, the dad is seven foot and five to six hundred pounds. Uh, the, yes. The mama's a little bit smaller. And then I, I have the male, the young male at six foot, 200 pounds, which actually seems kind of not terribly bulky for six feet. And then scarily enough, the female one account has her being six foot and 100 pounds, which I actually looked up. And even supermodels like. No, six foot yeah. one ten pounds is on the very very low end, so I didn't seem to think that was right. So I, know, I read another account that the kids were both around three hundred pounds, and that feels more correct. Yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, maybe Albert's really bad at estimating weights. <laughs> Most Some of men us are. are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and inches, whenever it comes. Um, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, whenever I say little, I mean little in terms of Sasquatch little. We're we're talking about a creature that, by some reports, tops out around eleven to fifteen feet tall. Oof. Right. So whenever you're saying like seven and a half foot tall, uh, to me that's really short for a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Um. So he he uh the he he's looking at this. They're a family, and the boy and the girl. They seem to be very scared. The the mother is not pleased with what the father has done. <laughs> right? They so rarely are. What the fuck did you do? And the old the old man, the father, is waving his arms around and going and like kind of telling him, okay, we can do this, 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 and this. He's hearing this chatter, but he gets the gist of it. It's like, no, we're gonna keep it. This is my new dog. <laughs> And whenever we get tired of him, we can eat him. Right? So, Osman still has his compass. He has his his prospecting glass on strings around his neck. Uh, Prospecting glass is another nice way of saying magnifying glass so that you can hold it and kind of look for gold flakes in a pan. Um... The compass is in his left-hand shirt pocket. The glass is in the right-hand pocket. And he's trying to reason his location where he was. He's in a small valley. Uh, It's about eight or ten acres. He's surrounded by high mountains. And there's a V-shaped opening on the southeast side, uh, about eight feet wide at the bottom, 20 feet high. And he figures out, uh, that's got to be the way I come in. That's the way I'm going out. Now, a lot of people out there are kind of thinking, Oh, why did this Sasquatch do this? This is nothing that Sasquatch are known to do, take people. There's actually more than one account. Uh, A few years ago, there was a caller that called in to Coast to Coast AM and had provided pictures. Uh, He said that he had been kidnapped by a Sasquatch, by a female. And this female took him to a basin. But this basin was completely covered in rock. And he said that the female held him down by his chest with one hand and with the other hand grabbed both of his feet 
And it's like her hand wrapped around his ankles, right? And started to lick the bottom of his feet. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. Right? And this is where it kind of gets interesting. The, the thing that gets me is the amazing amount of details with Osman's account and this same account by, by this caller. Because who would ever think if you want to keep something from getting away and you have to leave, put them in a rocky environment and lick the skin off the bottom of their feet so they can't walk. I, I will say that uh, before my first trip to France, I made the mistake of getting a pedicure mm-hmm. and they basically buffed all the calluses off. Mm-hmm. And then I got a pair of uh, nice like French wedges uh, at, a, at a store. And then my first day walking in them, I was like, oh, no, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I had to have Jackson give me a piggyback ride home because that was painful. I was like, okay, that's a mistake I'm never going to make again. So yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, especially if they have, this is super gross, but if they have really rough tongues, mm-hmm. they could probably get some of those calluses really well. And yeah. yeah, when your feet are that sensitive, walking on rocky stuff, walking on much of anything that's not, you know, like a soft surface is difficult and it kind of bloody. Yeah, this guy. I'm just I'm, really grossed out by the licking of the feet. I'm, I'm pretty grossed ugh. out too, yeah. 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 This this guy who called in said that he had like crawled up uh, on his hands and feet to to like a small outcropping and hid from them there, hid from them for about three days until his feet healed to enough of a state that he could walk out of the woods. So I mean, this is stuff that we've heard of before, and we'll go a little bit more into the kidnapping uh, a little bit later. Um, he moves all of his belongings. Osman moves all of his belongings close to the west wall and there are two cypress trees there and he figures okay this is going to be my shelter until he can figure out what these squatch want with him how he's going to get away and he empties out his sack Mm. i was kind of hoping amber was taking a drink just then i was kind of hoping i could get some spittage but no (laughs) i don't spit (laughs) (laughs) i've heard stories uh he uh he wants to figure out what he has left as far as food goes. Uh, he's got all of his canned meat, got all of his vegetables. He's got one can of coffee. He's got three cans of milk, two packages of Rye King hardtack, and half a sealer of butter. The prunes and the macaroni are gone. So these things are eating like both 80-year-old men and 15-year-old children. Or, or like they're on Chopped and yeah. they've gotten a lot of weird ingredients. <laughs> so I'd like you to make a gourmet dish out of macaroni and prunes. Done. Pruneroni. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that would taste very similar to the feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, he's got a full box of shells for the rifle. He has his knife. The pick is missing. And his can of matches is missing. He only has his safety box full of about a dozen matches, but he's not really worried about that. He can start a fire with the prospecting glass whenever the sun's shining. Uh, he just needs dry wood. He wants hot coffee, but he's got no wood at this point. Nothing here that kind of looks like wood. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And he wanted to get a good look at the valley from where he was, but the boy and the girl are always watching him from behind a bush. Uh, 
he decides there's got to be water around here someplace. The ground is kind of leaning towards the opening in the wall. And he figures out there must be water at the upper end of this valley. There's green grass. There's moss. That's a good sign. He le- All of his utensils are left behind. He opens his coffee, empties the coffee in a dish towel, and he ties it uh, with a metal strip from the can. So he just takes like a strip out of the can and ties it like you would a wire twist tie. He takes the rifle, the can, starts looking for water. And a lot of people at this point go, shoot your way out. You're going to get maybe, there's four of them, one of him. You're going to maybe get one or two. And they're all bigger and potentially faster. And uninjured. Yeah, well, and at this point, too, they haven't done anything violent. Right, they've just kidnapped him. Yeah, he actually doesn't want to shoot them because he's like, well, they they haven't hurt me, so why should I hurt them? Right. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, is this guy American? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. <laughs> definitely not. So he uh, he kind of gets a drink uh, from a spring that he finds uh, that disappears underground. Gets a drink from that. He comes back. The boy's looking over his his stuff, but he doesn't. The little boy doesn't touch anything. Uh, and he kind of comes back and he goes, "Oh yeah, these people are sleeping. They're all taking a nap." Uh, there's like this, he's, he's taking in all of his surroundings. He's trying to find a way out of there. He's like finding, okay, there's a mountainside. There's an overhanging rock. There's a big undercut in the tree with about 10 feet deep, 30 feet wide. It's like fucking math equations and Hmm. leaves just floating up in front of his face. The first day, nothing much happens. That's right. In his own words, nothing much happens. Just kidnapped by by the cryptozoological marvel that is Bigfoot and his family. Not much. <laughs> he, had to eat, he had to eat his food cold. Uh, the, the little boy is getting braver. He's coming nearer and nearer to him. And he's got his snuff. He's got a snuff box. And he kind of like, shows the little boy his snuff box. And whenever, he, whenever the little boy sees this, he kind of comes up and he grabs the snuff box and he takes it over to his sister and shows it to her. And just through like working around with it, they figure out how to open and close it. And they spend a lot of time playing with the snuff box. And then he takes the snuff box over to the father and has this long conversation. The next morning, Osman goes, uh, that's it. I can't take any more of this. I-, I want out. Even if I have to shoot my way out, I want out. Uh, he's only got enough food left to last him until he gets back to the Toba Inlet. Didn't know the direction to go, but he just figures I'll go downhill. And eventually if I keep going down hills, I'll find, I'll find a valley and civilization someplace. So he's getting ready. He's kind of doing just a little bit at a time. He rolls up his sleeping bag. He puts that inside of his pack sack. Yeah, there it is. And he swings the sack on his back. He puts a shell in his rifle and he starts to go for the opening in the wall. The father stands up and held up his hands to push Osman back. Osman goes, no. He points at the opening. He goes, I want to go out. But the father stands there pushing him. And he said something that sounds like, remember the Sierra sounds, soka, soka. 
That kind of sounds a lot like the, the gibberish, like the chatter that we heard coming from the Sierra sounds. So this kind of frightens Osman, and he backs up not five feet, not 10 feet, 60 feet by his estimate. He didn't want to be too close if he has to shoot his way out. And he's going like, yeah, 30-30 might not have a lot of stopping power. It might only piss him off. And I've only got six shells. And there's got to be a better way than killing him in order to get out. So he goes back to his little makeshift campsite and kind of, I'm going to find out some other way. And he figures, uh, I could make friends with the little boy or the little girl. They might help me. Uh, I wish I could talk to them. I wish I knew their language. He thought of a, a fellow that he heard a story of who saved himself from a, a mad bull by throwing snuff in his eyes and blinding him. But he's going like, how am I going to get near to the big guy to put snuff in his eyes? Now, we're talking about something that's seven and a half, eight foot tall. It's a, you're going to have to slam dunk the snuff. And we can't. Pocket snuff. Pocket snuff. Foom. <laughs> so he decides the, the next time he gives the little boy the snuff box, he's going to leave a few grains of snuff in it. So he's like, he's sitting there. He's got this. Okay, I must be 25 miles northeast. This guy must have traveled 25 miles in three hours. If he went west, we'd be near salt water. Same thing if he went south. Therefore, he must have gone northeast. Like he's figuring all this out. Because honestly, all he's got time to do is, is think and be, be fucking scared as hell. So he, he figures out that if he keeps going south over the two mountains, he's got to hit salt water. He's got to hit sea somewhere between Lund and Vancouver. It goes another day. He doesn't see the mother until about 4 p.m. This poor guy, right? She comes home with her arms full of grass and twigs and spruce and hemlock and some nuts that they found on the ground. So the next day, Osman doesn't see the mother until about 4. Uh, but she does eventually come home with her arms full of grass and twigs, spruce, hemlock, and some of these nuts that Osman had not really seen before. Um, these, uh, these nuts, he'd seen a lot of them on Vancouver Island, but he wasn't able to identify them. Uh, he's watching the family, seeing these are their strengths, these are their weaknesses, and he sees like the, the young Bigfoot, the boy, he would go up the mountain to the east every day, and he said this, this guy could climb better than a mountain goat. Uh... The boy picked up some kind of grass with long sweet roots, and the boy gave Osman to uh, Osman some of the grass, and he said it tasted really sweet. Um, so he gives him another snuff box with about a teaspoon of snuff in it. He tasted it, and he goes to the old man, and the father licks it with his tongue, and they have this long chat. And Osman goes, I'm going to make a dipper from a milk can. And, and you can, uh, it, when he makes the dipper, he dips it in the water and drinks from it. And he shows this, uh, this Bigfoot takes the dipper and the, the Bigfoot itself, he takes the dipper from Osman. The Bigfoot dips it in the water, drinks from it. And it's, he's pleased. And he said, this thing almost smiled at him. And he goes, 
this, this is the beginning of my plan. They're starting to trust me. He takes a chew of snuff. He goes, mm, 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 like makes a big show of it like you would for a baby. And I go, oh, that's good, right? The baby, the, <clears throat> the baby, the boy points to the father and sa- said the word ook. And Osman kind of gets the idea that the, that the father likes the snuff. And the boy wants a box of snuff for the old man. And Osman goes, nope, nope. And, but then he kind of motions for the, uh, for the father to come, come closer. And he, uh, they didn't come near him for a little while. Osman has been there for six days, but he's making progress. And he goes, if I can get the father to come over, get him to eat a full box of snuff, I can get out of here. It may kill him, but he'd be killing himself. I'm not doing it. So he, he said the mother was meek and old. The, the boy was really friendly. The girl was super gentle, said her chest was flat like a boy's. No development like young ladies. Always got to check out the chesticles. <laughs> um, he said, I- I'm sure that if I could get the father out of the way, I could bring this girl with me to civilization. But he goes, Why? They put her in a cage, keep her in display, and I don't like that. Uh, kind of forward thinking for Osman, you know, in, in that, that day and age. Um, he's kind of judging thing. He says the boy is probably between 11 to 18 years old, seven feet tall, might weigh 300. Said his chest was 50 to 55 inches. Waist about 36 to 38, wide jaws, narrow forehead. Uh, the hair on their heads was about six inches long. Uh, the hair on the rest of their bodies was short and thick in places. The woman's hair on the forehead had an upward turn, like bangs. Uh, <laughs> She's styling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said this, this woman was probably over seven feet tall, pretty hefty. Close 500, 600 pounds. She had very wide hips, a goose-like walk. Uh, She was not built for beauty or speed, his words. He (laughs) said some of those lovely brassieres and uplifts would have been a great improvement on her looks and her figure. Oh, my. Ouch. Sexist, even interspecies. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, He says the old man, the father, about eight feet tall, uh, his uh, canines are longer than the rest of his teeth, but they're not what you would call tusks or fangs. Big barrel chest, hump on his back, powerful shoulders, biceps on the upper arm were enormous, tapered down to his elbows. His forearms were longer than humans, but well-proportioned. Hands were wide, palm long and broad, hollow like a scoop. Uh, the fingers were short in proportion to the rest of his hand, fingernails like chisels the only place they have no hair is the inside of their hands and the soles of their feet and the upper part of the nose and eyelids he goes i never saw their ears they were covered with hair hanging over them um 
He goes, they might eat meat. I never saw them eat meat. I never saw them do any cooking. I think they're nomadic. They, I, I would think that like something this big would have to be because food would become available in different localities. And he thinks that this was probably a stopover place and the plants with the sweet roots on the mountainside might have been in season this year. And they seemed like really interested. Um, I actually, I, I read somewhere that Albert showed them how to make fire with two sticks and they were like amazed because really? they didn't use fire. I don't have that in my notes. And I'd never heard that before. And believe me, the Osman case is one of my favorites. Hmm. I don't know which source I found that on and how legitimate it is, but it, it did say that he amazed the creatures by showing them he could make fire with two sticks. They, um, they had blankets that they used with moss, but they never had fire for warmth. Yeah. I had cooking. fire. I didn't have necessarily have anything about him showing them fire, but I had the, the never, they never made fire of their own origination and that they about the the moss and stick blankets thing I, I had that as well uh but yeah he he's he's like sitting there and i do have it that he's like he is making fire for himself he's making coffee he saves up all the dry branches and the dry moss and he's using labels from his cans to start fires uh and he's sitting there drinking his coffee and in between him like thinking of how to escape He's thinking, what the hell do they want with me? And he never really figures it out. Uh, there's been a lot of theories put forth. Uh, pet. Uh, there's uh, one of the one of the theories. Uh, there is a uh, there is a, a, a biologist named Meldrum, who claims to have found a lot of Bigfoot tissue samples, and has found that Bigfoot is predominantly, but not quite human. And the thought is that Osman may have been taken uh, for breeding purposes uh, for the young girl. Uh, or maybe Osman was intended to be food. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he was intended to be food. I think he had food. And so they were like, this guy keeps showing up with more and more food. He makes the food. Let's just take him and we'll always have food. It's, they're, they're bringing in a cook. <laughs> Yeah, sort of <laughs> a chef, you know, yeah. and and maybe hunter of of sorts, a, another forager who also happens to know how to prepare it nicely. <laughs> but but even Osman himself was quoted as saying, after living with them for a week, I'm sure they're merely a band of Indians that have lost touch with civilization. So he basically was saying, yeah, that they're like humanoid. They're just really hairy humans. There there is a Bigfoot researcher, and we're going to talk a little bit about him later on too. There's a Bigfoot researcher named David Polites, who is seems to be 100% convinced that Bigfoot is a Native American tribe. And a lot of people are kind of sitting back and going like, really? Still? Native Americans? Um, they're in... in uh, this was a 1911. Think about this. 1911. Out of nowhere, near a town called Oroville, California. Uh, that's in Northern California. A, uh, a, a, a Native American appeared from a tribe that has been, was thought to have been extinct for 40 years. So... 1911 is not that long ago. 
So a hundred years ago, we have human beings coming out of the woods from tribes that had supposedly been wiped out in the Three Knolls Massacre. Um, and and this, uh, this uh, Native American, his name was Ishii. But Ishii, he, that wasn't his real name. In his, in his tribe, you never tell somebody your real name until you're introduced to them. So he goes, I've got no one to speak for me, so I can't tell you what my name is. Those are some super Victorian rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and um, I, I've actually been to the museum where Ishii lived in Oroville, California. Uh, and f- oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you, you were talking about how that's like over 100 years ago, so, but not that far. But from the time period that we're talking with Albert Osman, it's mm-hmm. so much closer. 1924. Right. It hasn't even been 15 years yet. Right. So like something, it's so entirely likely that something like that could happen there as well. Go. well and also, this isn't California that is pretty heavily populated. This yeah. is like the boonies. Oh, super boonies. Mm-hmm. A lot of this area is probably has not been quote unquote discovered by a bunch of white people. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's absolutely it seems entirely possible. I mean, even now you look at it on, on, in, on satellite and it's incredibly desolate and remote. Beautiful. That's why it's beautiful, because people aren't fucking around with it. <laughs> there there is a little ghost town in Alaska, not very far from where Osman was kidnapped. Uh, Portlock? Portlock. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I did some extra research because I, I was letting Is it you pub names? With... No, 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 no. It's, it's more stuff on other sightings because I was mm-hmm. letting uh, Scott run with, with Osman. So I just have like the, the basics on that. And then I did some other research on other sightings and I think I might save them for next week's tiny. So <laughs> because what? I think if I try to break them out now, we're going to be here for another two hours. <laughs> Damn it, I wanted to get into Portlock for just a second, but we'll say this. Oh, Portlock is a town that does not exist anymore. Yeah. Portlock was a cannery town. And a lot of people in the cannery town, they, uh, whenever you live in Alaska, you have one job stay alive. That's your <laughs> job, right? So your, your side job, maybe you worked at the cannery, but your side job is hunting doll sheep. Um, that's the name of the, the breed of sheep, doll, D-A-L-L, doll sheep, right? Well, well goats, they're goats. Yeah. They have the, the, the ones with the horns curving backwards, although I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of breeds that have the horns curving right, backwards, but that's right. just what struck me when I looked them up. So, uh, and I mean, we're not, we're not really far. We're not really far from, from where Osman was kidnapped here. Uh, round about, yeah, it's, about it's, go, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. It's 1,200 miles from Toba Inlet. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as far as you're talking, like, if you're talking about, you know, a nomadic species, yeah, not very far at all. Uh, now, it, it's a thing where uh, people start to see giant creatures walking around, and a, uh, a couple of people that hunt the doll sheep aren't coming back anymore. And then they find a couple of people who've had a uh, very crude surgery done to them, meaning that they can turn their head 180 degrees now. Yeah. Yeah. 
You also had the case that, all right, so the thing about this being a nomadic people, if it's a nomadic people, they keep on coming back here. So there must be some good, like, foraging going on because it was the 1920s and 30s and then uh, into the 40s. So in 1920s, you had Albert Petka, a local man. He was out with his uh, his dogs and he had a run in with some sort of creature. The creature hit him in the chest. His dog team actually ran the creature off. But he was, he, he was able to return and tell his story, and then not long after that, internal injuries killed him. And then a decade later, in the 30s, you had those cannery workers, and something was disturbing their camp so much that they were like, fuck this, we're out. For the next year, the company had to get armed guards for the camp in order to convince the workers to actually come back. By 1950, Portlock, Alaska went, fuck this. And the entire town leaves. We're sick of being harassed by Bigfoot. Like at one point there was in 1931, uh, there was a man who was found. He had been chopping wood and he had some logging equipment. He wasn't just out there with an axe. And he was found murdered, like legit murdered with one blow from a piece of logging equipment. But this piece of logging equipment was too heavy for a human man to lift. And it's not like he fell and hit his head. He was 10 feet away from it. So something really weird happened there. And I have to, um, this is not exactly related, but it's just creepy as all get out. Brian Weed, an Alaskan historian, I'm just going to quote him directly. At that same time, the villagers talked about seeing a spirit of a woman dressed in black clothes that would come out on the cliffs above town. They described her dress as being so long that she would have to drag it. She had a very white face and would scream and moan. The villagers would hear something, and then she would disappear back into the cliff face. So creepy. Mm -hmm. Creepy would be the word I would use to define Portlock. And yeah, in the 1940 census, there were 31 people there. But about they say probably about three dozen people were missing or had been found dismembered or killed in other ways over just a few decades. So if, if this creature was a creature it was it was doing a damn good job of hunting and if it was a person it was doing a damn good job of serial killing so yeah it was a mass exodus in 1949 the whole town except the postmaster the postmaster stayed behind for a year but then they closed down the post office and whether that was his insistence or the post office or the u.s postal service i don't know but one way or the other he was out and now but all he there had he had the easiest job for a year. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Can't deliver mail if nobody's home. Here's the mail. It's all for me. Yeah. Uh -huh. So the um, the a local language uh, from some of the indigenous peoples, I believe, uh, if I got that wrong, I apologize, is Alutique, and uh, it names uh, there's a mysterious monster. Uh, called a Nantinak, which is a half man and half beast. So that's what a lot of uh, people tended to attribute it to. But yeah, it's now just, it's seriously a ghost town. And the funny thing was, I found this on a list of Alaskan ghost towns. It was like the top 10 Alaskan ghost towns. And then there were 23 comments and every single one was somebody saying, what about this place? What about that place? What about this place? There must be so many damn ghost towns in Alaska. Holy shit. <laughs> because it's hard to live there and people die. And because there's nantinacks apparently yeah. going around dismembering people and hitting them with logging equipment. Well, it, it's a thing where, like, Native Americans talk about Sasquatch, but the Sasquatch were kind of like, you leave them alone, they leave you alone. But not all of them were like that. There was, like, a cousin of the Sasquatch called the Ote Nia Yarhe. Uh, 
but other tribes also called this the Janosqua. And this was essentially an armored Bigfoot. Uh, what they would do... That sounds awesome and horrifying. It, oh, it gets so much fucking worse. These, uh, these Janosqua, they lived underground. And what they would do is they would roll around in mud. And they'd let the mud dry. And it just looked like stone armor on the outside of them. And, I mean, there are, there are drawings of, like, Native Americans running from Janosqua. And the Janosqua, they, they had a certain food that they really liked. And that food was people. Um, they, <laughs> I was going to say people if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. They, they, did, uh, they did two things. If you were lucky and the Janosqua caught you, what they would do is they would separate your head from the rest of your body. If oh, it sounds were, lucky, yeah. If you were lucky. If it was a special occasion, they would take you back and eat you alive with their family. Um, now, if you want some really true horror, let me share the screen here. Scott, are oh, you ever going to finish Ostman? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. We're getting to Ostman. Sure. We're getting to Ostman right now. So It's so easy to go down rabbit holes with, with oh, this topic. I know. The rabbit holes are a plenty. Especially you know what? I was actually, I was sitting here thinking, did I research the wrong thing? Because no. all I have are notes on Ostman. No, uh, I just went. I just went on in a different direction for a little while. <laughs> are you able to see the screen? Yeah, I am. So there is a Native American artwork of Janosqua. It looks like a giant dressed as an alligator. Yeah, yeah. They are, they are nearly twice as tall as the humans that they are chasing. They are carrying weapons. They look like they have some sort of uh, shield of sorts that's covering or a helmet that's covering their heads, and. The are there are arrows coming at them that really don't seem to be very effective at all. So we mentioned the Bigfoot researcher David Polites. Uh, David Polites has gotten kind of famous not for his Bigfoot research, but his uh, his missing person research. Uh, he hasn't come out and said that it's Bigfoot. He hasn't even alluded that it's Bigfoot. In fact, he's actually come out and said, "I don't think it is Bigfoot." Um, but there are a lot of mysterious disappearances. This, uh, this top map is like the clusters of missing people that David Polites has said, yes, this. Oh, fits. I've seen this. I've seen this on Facebook before. Right, right. Where the missing people versus the cave systems and how amazing that they match up. And remember, the Janosqua were an underground people. Okay, but also I, I I get this, but I always I have to have to poke the hole, um, not to poke a hole in a cave or anything. I love poking holes. I bet yeah, you, you do, do, you salty bitch. <laughs> it's, I'm also seeing on this map uh, more desolate and rural areas on both of them. Um, we can see like look, let's look at our state. You can see like the area between like Pittsburgh and the top of the state. Um, has some smatterings there and then off on the in the mountains and the Poconos and everything. I mean, these are places where people are more likely to go missing and then never be found because there's so many dumping grounds, you know? There, there's certain, uh, there are certain criteria that have to hit before David Polites considers it to be a missing 411 case. Okay. Uh, if the body's found, it has to be in an area where a human body really couldn't get to. Uh, dependent on their age. Uh, the weather should turn 
horrible immediately after the person is missing. Um, their clothes, if their clothes are found before the body is, the clothes are usually folded in a neat and nice pattern. Uh, there are a ton, a ton of criteria. Uh, certain things, it seems like uh, German ancestry, uh, believe it or not, is a big thing where people go missing in, in the Paulides cases. I would so, like to tell my husband to please be careful. Well, I am, I am very suddenly glad I'm not German. Paulides has said no one, no one that he's researched has ever gone missing who has both a GPS locator and a pistol or a firearm. Okay, well, at least I always have my phone, but I don't do guns, so yeah. I, I, have, I have other means of, of scaring off intruders. All right, but we have to steer back yeah, to Austin. Yeah, I was just getting ready to <laughs> say. Okay. Back, just making sure. <laughs> back to Osman. Back to Osman. I've got a pee, so let's hurry. <laughs> <laughs> but so he, uh, he decides that, okay, he's making his move. He holds out the snuff box, gives it to the old man, and intending him to take a pinch, just like he did, but instead, the Sasquatch grabs it and empties the snuff box into his mouth, swallows it in one gulp, and then licks the box inside with his tongue. <laughs> After a few minutes, uh, Pops... Hey, hang on, hang on. Oh, go ahead. That, that Squatch likes to lick. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Cleans those boxes right out. <laughs> baby, baby, why don't you and me uh, jump in my car? I'll put on some Barry White, and we'll go up to Squatch Lick Point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you may continue. <laughs> so after a few minutes, uh, Daddy's eyes begin to roll into his head. He's looking straight up, and he is sick. Uh, Pops grabs Osman's coffee can, and he empties that into his mouth. But... He drinks the grounds and all. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Does no good. The, the father Sasquatch sticks his head between his legs, rolls forward a few times, and begins to squeal. He, Osman grabs his rifle. He says to himself, this is it. If he comes for me, I'll shoot him right between his eyes. But he starts to go. He wants water. He, and he packs his sleep. He grabs the uh, sleeping bag. And the young fellow runs over to his mom. She starts to squeal. Osman heads for the opening in his wall, and he just barely makes it. The mother was right behind him, which is weird because she didn't want him there anyway, but then he accidentally proves his worth by being a good cook. <laughs> Osman fires one shot at the rock over her head. She'd never seen a rifle before. She turns and runs. He puts another shell into the barrel of his rifle. He runs downhill, looking over his shoulder every once in a while to see if they were coming. He was in a canyon. He made fast time. He says he probably made three miles in some world record. He comes to a turn in the canyon. He's got a sun on his left. That means I'm going south. Canyon turns west, and he decides to climb the ridge in front of him. And he, he goes, I got to have these two mountain ridges between me. I'm going to get to salt water by climbing this ridge. I'm going to have a good view of the canyon. I can see if the Sasquatch are coming after me. I can see if there's, there's land out there. I can see if there's sea. He's got a light pack. Remember, most of his stuff is gone. That 80 pounds is mostly gone at this point. Uh, he stops soon. He looks back. Nobody's following him. And as he comes to the ridge, he goes, I know that mountain. That's Mount Baker. 
I'm going in the right direction. He's hungry. He's tired. He opens up his pack sack, Amber, <laughs> to see what he has to eat. And he decides he's going to rest just for a little while. Uh, he's got a good view. I can see the old man coming. Uh, and he's going to have to get up a steep hill. That might not be so easy after a few bullets are in him. You know, even, even if it's just going to piss him off, it's going to slow him down. He rests for two hours and he, he goes, okay, it's 3 PM gets down the mountainside and he gets near the bottom and he sees a blue grouse and he shoots it. He needs protein. He needs, he needs life giving meat. Amber. Don't we all? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, and he just, he, he eats it. He makes it down the creek, bottom of the canyon. He makes a fire between two big boulders, roasts the grouse. Next morning, he wakes up, wakes up, his feet are sore, dirty socks, legs are sore, stomach was upset from the grouse, uh, and he's not quite sure he's going to make it up to the mountain. Finally makes it to the top, but what should have taken him a few hours takes him six hours to get there. It was really cloudy, visibility is about a mile. But he knows I, he has to go downhill. He goes two hours. He gets down to the heavy timber. He sits down to rest. And then he hears a motor. He hears it go sometimes. It's running hard and it stops. And he finds out someone's logging in the neighborhood. Uh, he goes, I'm, I'm a prospector. I'm lost. He didn't say, I've been kidnapped by a Sasquatch. <laughs> Well, because would you give a ride to somebody that was like, I was just kidnapped by a bunch of big feet? No, no. Bigfoots. What's the plural of Bigfoot? Bigfoot. Oh, so it's, like, not, it's, a, it's not like Bigfoots? Big no. Feet. It's like, no. It's like deer. The right. plural of deer is deer. The plural of Bigfoot is Bigfoot. That's, That's right. That's disappointing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd rather big feet as well. Uh, Sasquatches. Sasquatches. Yeah. Go for that. Sasquatch yeah. Actually, eye. I, can I can I make a plea that we retroactively changed the name of the father Bigfoot or father Sasquatch to Papa Squatch? Papa Squatch. <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't that like the most fun word to say? Papa Squatch. Well, yeah, because it sounds like I'm taking a deuce. Well, yeah, that, but... Whenever I, whenever I pop a Squatch, what that is is I forget to shave my asshole sometimes and the turd is so sticky it rips hair out on its way out. That's a lot more information than anyone needed, so let's move on. I'm going to so, put that right in the category with the uh, Bigfoot licking feet. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're putting lots of stuff in our mind boxes that we will never go to again. <laughs> so the following day, Osman goes down uh, from his camp on Salmon Army Branch of uh, the Selchelt Inlet. Uh, from there, he hops a Union boat back to Vancouver, and he does not go in the woods again. This is his last prospecting trip. And he said, this is the only time I've had any experience with Sasquatches. Uh, and he goes, in 1924, uh, there was four living, but he kind of assumed by the time uh, that he, he kind of told his story, he's probably only two now. He's thinking the old man and the old lady might be dead at this time. And... What do you guys think? Do you think this is bullshit or not? Okay, before we answer that question, I real quick have another story to tell that is of the same vein, but is 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 much briefer because I have very little information on it. Okay. But um, 
what we do have does come from uh, the Benedictine monk that it was told to. So there's there's something for accuracy or reliability, a monk, maybe. Okay. So, okay, this is 1928. And I'm going to mispronounce some things, and I apologize in advance. I tried to find pronunciations where I could, but Mutilat Harry, have you heard of him? I have not. Okay, so he was a trapper with the Nutrilnuth tribe. Uh, this was on Vancouver Island. He, that's where he lived in British Columbia. And he heads off to the Konyuma River, which <laughs> sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Konyuma River, real yep. close to us, uh, to do some hunting there. And this is only about 90 miles from Toba Inlet. So not that far, both in time and in geography. So he canoes up the Kanyama and then he leaves the canoe around the mouth of the river and he hikes up and he's going upstream. He goes up about 12 miles on his hike. Like This is just like a friggin' day trip for this dude. Uh, sets up his camp and off to sleep he goes. And he's happy in dreamland until he wakes up when he is picked up, blankets and all, and hauled off into the woods. Hmm. Of a slightly important note is he's only wearing woolen underwear, which the article described it as woolen underwear. I'm imagining it's probably like woolen long underwear, not, you know, like woolen tidy whities or anything. You know? I, I was picturing him in a woolen thong. <laughs> nice woolen banana hammock. <laughs> There's too many episode titles to choose from. Right. <laughs> so after about three or four miles of travel, he guessed uh, they reached the destination. And there, when they drop him at the destination, he is surrounded by 20 creatures. They're all huge. They're all hairy. And they're all walking around on two feet. That's my kind of party. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they're actually, they're fairly calm. They just watch him. They don't approach. They don't really try to interact. They're just kind of like, oh, well, here's this thing somebody brought almost as if somebody brought a puppy but they're used to seeing puppies and they're like oh well there's another one i'm probably gonna get stuck walking it all the time but so he's sitting there and he's looking around and he's like okay well they're not bothering me so that's fine but uh, oh oh no there's a pile of bones over there i don't like that oh oh there's another one that's not good so he's getting a little nervous and then they do start approaching him and what they seem to want, what they're trying to get at all day, is his underwear. <laughs> they are pawing at him and trying to get his woolen long underwear or his woolen banana hammock or his woolen thong, whatever. Boy, I know, the, I know that problem so well. <laughs> he manages to keep a hold of his undies. And then they go about their day. And they seem to have some sort of routine which involves them leaving camp. For most of the day, probably to hunt, forage, etc. The stuff that you, you, you do in that kind of, you know, foraging or hunter-gatherer society, whichever they are. I mean, they're not planting crops. Mm -hmm. So he is able to actually escape pretty quickly. And he runs back, not just to his camp, three or four miles, but to his canoe, which, remember, was 12 miles from where he set up camp. So I don't, I'm not able to really map out directions because I don't have any direction of where he exactly what direction he went from his canoe etc amber i don't blame him one bit i think i would bypass the camp and go straight for the out yep 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 that's what mm -hmm. i would do too but he, he basically runs the whole entire way uh, in his woolen underwear and so but it's a long way and he gets there and then once he gets to his canoe that's a 45 mile canoe back home 
again in his underwear. Well, in underwear, but still. He gets home and his, his friend is a Benedictine monk who nurses him back to health. And then when he's he's back to it, uh, Muchalat Harry gives the, the monk his story and the, the monk records this all down for posterity. Now, Harry was so scared. This is one of those things that I, I kind of go like, okay. But he was so scared that uh, in the time that he was he was recovering from this whole incident, his hair just turned white. So that, that always makes it feel very urban legendish to me. I'm calling bullshit on that. If anything happened, he probably soiled himself in his woolen underwear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the story of Muchalat Harry, which in that area, maybe if he went in one direction, if he went eastish from the mouth of the river, it would take him close to a lake, which is now called Muchalat Lake. So I don't know if there's a connection. Mm. I don't know where his name comes from. I wasn't able to find any of that, but I just wanted to point that out because it is a story that is so close, but is before, uh, Albert Osman's story was really known because it took him like 30 some odd years to come forward with it. So I thought that was interesting, unless it just happened to circulate among the community before it got to the wider media, which is always a possibility. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Back to Scott's question now that I have given you that. Uh, do we call bullshit or not? On all of this. On anybody being kidnapped in, in this 90-mile radius of, of uh, British Columbia by Sasquatches or an indigenous tribe of lost people. Okay, so before I answer that question, I want to know um, what kind of drugs are grown locally there? Do they have like a peyote kind of thing mm. that that you could smoke or eat accidentally? I don't know. And I don't get know. fucking high as a kite. I know. <laughs> I know that there are two Native American tribes up there: the Tlingit and the Simishion. And they both talk about a creature called a kudashka, uh, which is uh, essentially the, the actual translation of that word is land otter man. And mm. then just a little bit below them, the, the uh, Yupik uh, Native Americans have a creature they call the Yurayuli. I honestly think that if, if it's Canada indigenous works, <laughs> it just feels like Native American is so specific. Uh, and I don't think Canada really wants to associate with America in any way, shape, or form at this point in time. Uh, Would it's, you? It's Not like, really. Honest <laughs> to God, if you're listening from Canada, we're really sorry. It must feel like you're living above a meth lab at this point. <laughs> I know. I would be nervous. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, unfortunately, the meth lab just exploded. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> psycho. Let's see here. Psychoactive substances. Psychoactive plants. Alaska. So let's see here. This is in my search history now. <laughs> yep. Uh, so there is, uh, there is of course the uh, the mushrooms. Uh, Alaska is three types. It's called Amanita muscaria. Uh, also, it's commonly called fly agaric. Um, but yeah, it looks like those mushrooms are pretty much the only psychoactive substance that I'm seeing in just a cursory search. Okay, so I, I'm voting one, one of two things. One is he ate the mushrooms and went on a powerful, powerful journey. Or um, two, I'm not ruling out that they exist because there's a lot of things in this world that exist that we aren't aware of. 
there are things that we are aware of that we ignore. Um, so it's definitely a possibility that there is some sort of Native American tribe that has stayed indigenous and away from technology. And I mean, especially living in Alaska, you would you would adapt and grow hair to stay warm. So, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, they have uncontacted tribes on various like islands here and there, or they're supposed to stay uncontacted. Some assholes do contact them, but and then so, get yeah. murdered. So, <laughs> no, yeah, I just I just feel like Amber's is the most likely scenario. But I feel like if it is uh, not a drug trip, it's a, a lost tribe. I I tend to believe Osman. I don't think this was I don't think this was a fairy tale. Uh, I don't think this was a hey, you know, something to tell the grandkids. I I I honestly believe Osman. Um, I believe there is something out there. I believe it's intelligent. Uh, and yeah, this is this is kind of weird because for the first time we have like something paranormal that I can honestly look at and go, yeah, I, I really think this happened. This is, whenever people tell, whenever people tell the story, they usually, you know, glorify things. They, and then I, I hit Pop Squatch in the nuts. And I, I, I fucking told him what for. And, and, and then the daughter looked at me and swooned. And I said, not today, girlfriend, and punched her in the face. No, this was like, this dude barely got out. So he wasn't making himself the hero of his own story. There's a lot of other stories where people have been taken. There's the story of Portlock not too far away. Something's up in those woods, or at least was at some point. You know what, though? Like, I, I don't want to say that he barely got away, because it seems like he was living with vegan Sasquatches. Because um, they didn't eat meat at any point while he was there. They seemed... Um, Osman himself said uh, they were definitely human, although primitive, and seemed more curious about me than anything. So, like, they were never violent with him. They were just like, kind of, like, intrigued by him and liked his macaroni and cheese. What if, hear me out on this, what if they pick up this human thinking they're going to have a nice little pet? It gets them deadly sick. Pops dies of tobacco poisoning. And then, like, the little boy remembers all this shit and starts to tear people up in Portlock. There you go. I like it. Okay. I like it. Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right, well, we've solved that mystery and another one. So uh, now that our work for the day is done... Don't forget, our store is now open with all kinds of fun merch you can get. Just go to redbubble.com slash people slash oldtimeycrimey. Or if it's easier for you, you can just go to redbubble.com and then search for oldtimeycrimey. And I will also make sure that the link is in our link tree available on any of our social media. So yeah, don't forget that. Don't forget our Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we have our old tiny crimeys and they're we're getting up there we're getting into the 40s so there, there's lots of material there for you to binge on us telling each other shorter crime stories it's super fun and uh if you are not the long-term relationship type you can leave us a buck on the nightstand at uh using the old timey crimey at gmail.com address on paypal 
And don't forget our social medias. We are old timey crimey on all of the Instagram, Facebook, Twitters. And also don't forget to give uh, my podcast. I'm losing words now because my back hurts. It's distracting. (laughs) Don't forget to give my other podcast a listen on which Amber and Scott have been doing such a fantastic job doing voice work detectives by the decade. And at the end, I, because I like to have a little fun when I do the credits, I give them each a, a different adjective before their name every week. So if, if, you know, listen to the whole episode just to hear the adjectives. I mean, if you're, if you're kinky like that, so there's it's all that. about the adjectives. It's all about the adjectives. Fantastic. Copyright strike. So yeah, that is all my bullshit. Um, I think if you guys don't mind, I kind of want to skip past what are we doing this week because I need to stand up uh, this weekend. And we're all we're all always we're doing this. I'm doing the same thing as Scott's doing. I don't know about you guys, but um, except with more uh, video games. So <laughs> masturbating in pizza. Well, no, I'm I'm not going to masturbate in my pizza. That's gross, Scott. Come on. Come on. You have some standards, dude. How do you think you might get my hair looking so nice? OK, I'm going to move on from that. <laughs> so. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening to our filthy words. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. My sources for this week's episode are BigfootEncounters.com UFOInsight.com EcampusOntario.PressBooks.Pub wikipedia.org onlyinyourstate.com cryptids.fandom.com and reddit.com My sources this week are David C. Anderson on the New York Times Wikipedia the Canberra Times accessed via Australia's Trove Archive Carrie Seward on Only In Your State KINY Radio Animal Planet Don Laurie on newspapers.com Tim Flight on History Collection, Daily Colonist, and Bigfoot Yeti and the Last Neanderthal, a geneticist's search for modern ape men by Brian Sykes, which, by the way, Google has it listed as, in the genre, controversial literature. My sources this week are AnimalPlanet.com, Newspapers.com, FindAGrave.com, and NewYorkTimes.com. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck! Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today.